0: You know, we've spent about £6 million building this so far at this point. So a member of Department for Education was with me and I took him into one school and they went to this girl in the corner of the room. And we'd been told by the teacher that this girl has slight social issues at school. So she struggles and she said, you know, what do you think about using this technology in your school? And the little girl turned around and said, you know, it's the first time in my life where I don't feel stupid. And I just thought that was worth £6 million. £6 million.
1: You're listening to Women Tech Charge from The Evening Standard with me, Anne-Marie Maffedon. What happens when you mix education and artificial intelligence? Can technology ensure pupils are reaching their full potential? In this episode, I'm talking to a woman who's done exactly that. She's also given millions of meals to homeless people in India. Settle in, this is a good one. Uh, To be honest, they all are, so make sure you're subscribed. I'm sat here in the wild, wild west of London, joined by a woman who is innovating and helping the laggards in our (laughs) education system (laughs) and bringing them into the future. Her company, Century Tech, combines the best of our favourite buzzwords, AI, big data, data mining, to ensure that children reach their full potential. Say hello to Priya Lakhani, O-B-E, CEO of Century Tech.
0: (laughs) If only I could be introduced this way every morning. (laughs) You can have this one for free. That would be great. Thank
1: you. So I did a little bit of the intro there, Priya. What's the official
0: elevator pitch? Century is the platform that learns how every brain learns. And by learning how every brain learns, it can provide a completely individualised, differentiated path for every individual across any subject, any curriculum, any age group. And by doing that, it can help to improve outcomes. It also takes all of that data that it learns about an individual child, let's say, in school, and it provides it on instant dashboards to teachers. So if we think about education and where the real problems are on the front line... Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a teacher standing up in front of a classroom of 30 children. Mm -hmm. And Anne-Marie, as you and I both know. Behaviour managing. Behaviour managing is often an issue. But even when you get past that, Mm. what does every teacher actually want to do? What do they dream of doing when they sign up to teach? They want to differentiate for every child. They want to intervene Mm -hmm. when necessary. Every child deserves a completely personalised education, because mm-hmm. how we learn is as unique as our fingerprints. They want to, and so, they want to empower and inspire yeah, as well, right? Ex- exactly, and that's what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But isn't it fascinating how? 60%, that's six zero percent of a teacher's time is spent on admin, micro marking, micro assessing, you know, trying to figure out what child needs what, marking homework, marking tests, then they suddenly have to become data analysts because they have to figure out where all the gaps in knowledge are and how to plug those gaps. The media the average so, and the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, so Century's purpose is really to have a, so it's a learning platform where any child can go on and it uses artificial intelligence, say machine learning, natural language processing, to learn how they learn. It provides the child with a completely differentiated, personalised journey. It's constantly adapting. It learns their knowledge, their skills, gaps in knowledge and skills, focus levels, effort levels, memory function, etc. Very very long elevator pitch. It is a long elevator yeah. pitch, but it's worthwhile saying because it's a complex <laughs> product. <laughs> and then it takes all of that data, but it provides its teachers, so that micro marking and micro-assessing disappears. And the reason I talk about it so much and I'm so passionate about it is mm. because how is it so that this doesn't already exist? So we know that every sector in the world has been transformed by technology. Mm. And how has it been transformed? Well, it's more efficient. You know, we know how to search. We know how to shop. We can find our accommodation very, very quickly. We know how to invest and, you know, where to save our money. And yes, so it's about efficiency, but it's also about making better decisions mm-hmm. and we know that data in the right hands can be very powerful so teachers should have the data and they should collect that data they should have constant formative assessments so we should have children you know being asked questions regularly to be able to test not just their knowledge but their depth of knowledge and the skill sets that they can apply on top of that knowledge but the problem is is that collecting all of that data then gathering it then analyzing it is incredibly time consuming mm. but once you've got it and you've analyzed it it's super powerful so the question for me was very much, you know, can a machine do that and automate the unnecessary workload burden on teachers that they currently do manually? But then can it do the really important part, which is analyse the data and put that in a teacher's hands? So what I always say is, look, when we look at a classroom, the most important person in the classroom is a child. Yep. But the most the most powerful person in the classroom is the teacher. Should be. So so that's what, that's who we need to empower with that analysis. And, mm. you know, we now have teachers all over the world um, that use that, that you know that I have experience of that use Century, where they make timely targeted interventions as and when necessary. And we've got so parents like, a, like
1: kind of just pings and it's like you know it tell- tap, tap Bob on the shoulder. You
0: can log in yeah. right now, and in under five minutes, uh-huh. the machine will tell me if I was your teacher or if I was your parent or guardian. Because I would have a portal too as your parent or guardian. It would tell me exactly where you need to focus in maths, chemistry, physics, English, whatever, whatever age group, whatever course, instantly. So then I can I can support you with the learning. And if I do nothing, and let's assume I leave you on your own, mm-hmm. it will learn why you don't understand something, not just if you're struggling. So if you're struggling in, in physics, it might learn that's because you're struggling to calculate equations in maths. So does that, mean that, give you're you that doing, content. Does that mean you're doing everything on the computer then? So we, we we see students spending about an hour to two hours a week on Century. Right. Um, and it's augmentative because, I mean, we had this discussion offline just earlier, but, you know, can the machine do everything? The answer is no. It augments teaching, yep. but it just cannot replace teachers. You're never going to be able to replace that one-to-one interaction that, you know, a child has with a teacher. And I don't expect it to and do the so. Co- the connection, yeah. We've not quite yeah. got the technology yet, have yeah, we? Yeah, no, and... and and, you know, in a sense, well, why would we want to drive it in that sort of a way? Because yeah. we've got to remember what makes us human, mm-hmm. what makes us special about being human, the empathy, mm-hmm. you know, that we can show, the, the pastoral care that a teacher provides to a child, mm-hmm. right? Sort of super teachers, you know, that, that those nuances in the curriculum that actually are very, very difficult to, to you know, to be able to code yep. and codify. But So we don't want to replace that. But how can we use technology to to solve big problems? And I think, you know, that's... That's the key here. And that's why I found a century. I wasn't a techie. I'm not a techie. I've got I know now that you're my not, CV you're not says, a techie, she says, well, I'm not. But I, you know, I've got a couple of now nano degrees in, in AI and neuroscience. And that sounds really bizarre. But it's not because all of these, this education is available, a lot mm. of it online, exactly. a lot of it for free. And so I upskilled myself. And actually, people are really afraid of that. And whenever mm. I talk to them, I think, well, hang on a second, you love learning. We all love learning, we are born to learn. You know, we're always, we're on our phones, we're searching quicker, we're trying to find answers, we're using resources available to us. And I came at this problem, and this is where I think there's a huge opportunity for everyone to get involved in technology. And it's Mm. not not scary if you come at it from a problem-oriented approach. And so, you know, coming at particular issues and thinking, well, how do I ensure that I'm working beyond the betterment of myself? Mm -hmm. How can I change the world for the better? Mm. Is there a way in which we can use certain technologies to actually apply those to these particular problems? I think that's really, really important. Uh, I'm just going to state a fact here because, um, you know, I don't like to generalize. But statistically, there are more social impact startups and scale ups led by women than there are by men. And so we have this huge disparity in terms of STEM education. And we talk about this a lot. And it is a real, fun, it is a real STEM, problem. STEM for those who don't know. Which is Science, why you need to go to STEMS. But Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Science, Sorry. technology, engineering and mathematics. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge gap in the market. There's a huge, you know, there's just a, a big hole when it comes to women, which we need for so many reasons. There's, there's a hole in the industry. Is, which, which
1: frustrates me and, and it's the same thing you're saying which is there's a hole in
0: education as well though right? there's a how many in, girls in the education take up a STEM degree but
1: how many people that don't have a STEM degree are also working in the industry right so it's one of those things where it's nice to have people have that training when they're yeah. younger and I benefited from it and you know I wouldn't change it for anything but also it's about everyone realising that behind the Bitcoin or behind insert name of insert buzzword here it is about solving problems and primarily about solving problems and we need yeah. that almost as much as we need the technology itself, right? It's really important to be able to, to talk about the altruism yeah. and connect the two, because otherwise the technology means nothing. So the example I always love is, I did maths and computer science at university. Uh, numbers was a big thing, I guess, as you'd assume, kind of on a maths degree course. Um, and number theory was a big part. And we did so much on kind of the history of prime numbers and the fact that this was 300 years ago that the Chinese were, you know, working through these prime numbers and working out the principles of them and how you my, how you find them, how you mine them. And I remember being sitting there and thinking, you know, how crazy that was 300 years ago. None yeah. of those people that worked on that have any idea that that's literally what underpins all of our security and so many of the algorithms that we use today to make credit card t- transactions, to have the world go round. It's based off them toying with with prime numbers but how frustrating that it's 300 years later
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, exactly and these things do take time but also you know related to that but on the sort of whole you know if we look at um, all of these big sort of buzzword industries mm. and look at how it applies to everybody you know every company is a technology company I would argue now. every single one yep. and when we've got people, and we, you know, you made the really valid point about the fact that you don't have to have had that maths or computer science background. Mm. What's really interesting and what I find now is that I always say to marketeers, for example, do you know that if you don't understand data, you're not going to get a great marketeering job? Because mm. actually now we want marketeers, but mm. we want marketeers who understand ROI, return mm. and investment. We mm. need marketeers who understand data analysis. Exactly. So this is becoming really part and parcel of the skill of set. Work. yeah, Yeah, of the general skill set that is required mm. of everybody. And so we do have this lack of females in technology in the sector and those that potentially, you know, I'm not saying that everyone needs to be a techie at all. No, no. not at all, because we need everything around that. You've got the people that code. You've got the people that understand logic in a sense. And I'd rather talk about that because I think you know, languages change, Mm -hmm. coding languages change. Mm -hmm. It's that ability to problem solve. It's that ability to, um, you know, use logic. It's about the ability to essentially apply a language to solve problems. Mm -hmm. It's about problem solving. But, you know, it applies in every single part of every sector and every sort of job set will require it. And so we, we really need people to think, well, how can I use this? Or how can I learn about it? And what would be really, really great is obviously if we had... People, you know, thinking, well, I want to do something about it. In a sense, taking ownership of their own education in that sense because there are no fundamental changes to the curriculum that really allow, I think, our children to understand what sort of skills they're going to need in the future. I mean, I think our education system to date is really not fit for purpose. There
1: are no, or there... There are very little. Or, um, uh, or it's impossible to, because my thing is, so computer science in particular is one where the technology industry is moving so quickly, that's trying to set a curriculum that doesn't become obsolete very quickly is nigh on impossible.
0: Yeah, if you wanted, if you want to set a, a curriculum, but the problem is, is that if there's an emphasis mm. in a curriculum mm. on teaching to a specific test at the end of the year, yeah, which right, is, which is where we've ended up being, which is exactly, then you have, you know, a real mismatch between what. You know, essentially, schools are having to do mm. because they, you know, they're, they're, they're measured League that way. Tables you, and everything. If, if yeah. you think, yeah, I mean, if we look at anything in any industry, not just schools, if mm. we measure people a certain way, mm. their behaviour will be driven towards achieving what exactly. they're measured by. Yep. Yep. And so, it's really not about necessarily changing the curriculum or a specific part of the curriculum because actually, my view is that it is what it is. It doesn't really matter too much what it is because I trust teachers. We all want the child. Um, to do, to do well. There are 8.2 million. Yeah, there yeah. are 8.2 million pupils in this country. And what yep. started me doing this was when I heard that 1.8 million of them were underperforming a few years ago. And mm-hmm. I thought that's 20%. So how do we also do this and not at the expense of outcomes? So it's mm. coming at that problem oriented approach now, you know, this is the problem, how do we fix it? And so for me, it was very much, well, what tools are there out there You need to, to, to help? And um, when I was sitting on um, Vince Cable's advisory board when he was Secretary of State of Business, Innovation and Skills during the coalition government, this is what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. And at the time, as, as you know, I was running a food company. Yeah, how do you even end up on that in that room running with <laughs> Masala Masala behind you? Um, so I was a barrister for a few years yes. and loved it and actually used to work for the press and it was great fun. Um, but my... I spent my entire childhood, you know, with summers and winters in East Africa, and I just never really—I never got off the plane back into the UK and forgot about the poverty. Okay. I thought it was so unjust, and when I was very young, I just decided that the burden rested squarely on my six-year-old shoulders to change the world and give every child equal opportunity when it came to nutrition, healthcare, and education. I felt and so, the same way when I was six. Yeah, 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 there we go. So we've got lots in common. And so, um, <laughs> and so I was, you know, I spent my whole childhood basically raising money for charities, and my parents used to just think it was really bizarre. So it was all I wanted to do. And then... Um, I thought that the most just career to obviously go into would then be law, because yep. if you're thinking about equity and, and justice, defending exact law. Yep. Right, and so I thought actually my, my main job is I actually wanted to go into the press and make editorial and investigative journalism fair and more positive, because I used to read the papers a lot when I was a kid. I was quite interested in current affairs, and I used to think, I wonder how we could create a bit of balance, et cetera, and how I could help. And then doing that for a few years, still, I loved it. And, you know, if I ever retire, I'd do that for free. I really did enjoy it, but I didn't feel like I was moving the dial as much as I thought I did. And so I sort of noticed that actually, you know, it's very much up to the editors and it depends on which papers you're working in, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So I'd come up with this idea. There was a gap in the market in food for fresh ethnic sources. And I thought, I'll solve the problem. I'll start my own company sort of a long story about that but um I started masala masala and in one but with masala masala it was my big opportunity to try and change the world so I know it sounds bizarre I'm selling curry sauces but for every pot of sauce that I sold I've fed a homeless person a hot meal we provided the pentavalent five-in-one vaccines children in Africa and we started building schools one year in after a million meals served about nine schools funded and about 35,000 vaccines provided that got on the radar of government and then Vince Cable asked me to be on his um, advisory board. As a social entrepreneur. As a social entrepreneur. Yep. Uh, well, sort of, yeah, sort of a, it was really actually, with business innovation skills, I think it was more the startup scale-up entrepreneur. It okay. was very much about the business side. But what was fascinating about the way the government was structured at that point, and I think it still works this way, is that business innovation and skills, now it's Bayes, obviously, mm-hmm. so you've got the energy part of it, but um, they, were, they were interested in skills because obviously that affects the economy. If we haven't got people in the workforce in certain jobs and creating jobs it affects GDP, etc, etc. So They were fascinated about skills there's one board meeting and we had matthew hancock who is now our secretary of state for health in the room Mm -hmm. and i have a lot of time for that man because i have to understand you know having spent a lot of time with people in government and talking to them he really does understand technology he understands how disruptive it is how disruptive it can be and he came into the room and started the conversation about look why aren't we solving these problems using technology and i thought well why aren't we and so i went away and did some research and interestingly, vince cable was also a huge advocate of we need to help solve this you know we now had two people who you know it wasn't really their direct job but they were thinking because that we were in a biz meeting mm-hmm. you know it seemed like education was very much department for education's yeah you know remit not business no yeah. exactly but they were thinking well actually no it's a hybrid approach it was really interesting it was a very interesting time and they said How can we help? And so when I said, well, look, I want to go and do some research, Vince Cable supported me. He said, you know, know, what do you need? And I said, well, I'd like one of your special advisors to help me with some research. He did do that. I went away. I went to schools all over the country, the best performing schools in the country, some of the schools that were, you know, slightly more challenged in terms of their performance. And I saw the same problems. It didn't matter which school I was in, in every school there is a bell curve. Mm-hmm. There are children that are struggling and left behind in every classroom. Mm-hmm. There are children who are under challenged and need a bit more stretch. And every teacher in any given moment in the classroom is faced with that problem. Yep. And when you're looking at it, you're thinking, well, what's the teacher going to do? Mm. And what's really interesting is they deliver a one-size-fits-all delivery, so sort being of, you know, educate. that's what they do. Yep. They deliver the lecture how the system works, yeah exactly, mm. and and they're forced to do it and then mm. and then what I was really ashamed of, really ashamed of, was that in the summer because I spent quite a lot of time researching this, we went through the summer holidays at this point, I have a two year old child you know I was pregnant with my son, so I was also very interested in education from a from a parental a maternal aspect, mm-hmm. but I then looked at the media and When schools didn't quite perform how they expected to or a child didn't perform how the parent expected them to, what I saw was that some schools were dragged through the mud. You know, they didn't perform. This was what's wrong with the school, et cetera, et cetera, particularly local media. And and I looked at that and thought, I have now met hundreds of teachers and I have never met a teacher who came to teach badly. Right. Okay. Because they don't do it for the money. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about the profession. Mm. And they're not respected at all. They constantly have to battle with a lot of problems. And I saw these problems. I thought, well, we need to solve these problems mm. and we need to solve it for the children and for the teachers. And for so, ourselves. Yeah, and us, so, yeah. you know, how do you do that? We start thinking, well, what does exist? And what was very striking was that in every classroom, I, I, I saw that in terms of technology, we'd gone from a blackboard to a whiteboard and that was about it. But, you know, at the same time, I'm pulling out my smartphone and I am able to order a taxi online. Um, I'm able to, you know, book accommodation. I'm able to search really fast. But there was no artificial intelligence and neuroscience platform in education there were several reasons why not I know one is the very you know it's the typical argument you hear where you say well schools are risk averse they take a long time to adopt technology they do but their stakeholder is really important you know they're not just concerned about revenue like most companies they they have to look after children so, and so, yep. so I can understand that yeah. and I appreciate that but also we mustn't forget that in order to build an artificially intelligent platform that uses neuroscience in the way that we've done, costs millions and millions of pounds. Mm -hmm. So investors have to think, where do I want... You know, that requires investment. And so one of the other problems is investors look at it and think, well, would I rather put my money in a fintech company, which might sell for X amount of pounds, and, you know, I might get 8 to 20 times my money in three years, or would I rather invest in building an edtech company where I have to be incredibly patient? And so what happens is there's a gap there as well. So all of these issues result in why the sector has been very late to be able to adopt technology. But what I must say right now is that I've been doing it for five years and it is growing we are growing at such it is, a fast pace say, yeah. so I think now we said FinTech, I was gonna
1: you know yeah. FinTech meaning financial technology company sorry EdTech I'm using all the lingo here which technology. is terrible um <laughs> but no I was gonna say EdTech is it has become or is becoming its thing like there's there's quite a lot of there's EdTech podcasts EdTech festivals there's you know Bet yep. has been there since before EdTech bet has been there um, a long time yeah and Bet I remember <laughs> when Bet was Becta and Bet is like this kind of big EdTech all the letters, uh, yeah. this big EdTech um, event that happens in January in yeah. London, and then they do the education show in Birmingham, normally in March time, They do, there's a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: there's them, there's Casey um, Fry, it's this amazing lady who's created her own... I do Learn It, yeah. Learn yeah, It, yeah, okay, so, so Learn so, yeah. It is coming up now, which is a new one, and she's very teacher-focused and educator-focused, yes. which is quite nice, actually, because she's really taken it from the angle about what do they care about, yeah. um, but there's quite a lot. Um, It is an industry in itself. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about that. But what I'm now seeing is the adoptions happening. So that curve that we mentioned in the beginning where Mm -hmm. we said, you know, there's an adoption curve to technology. There's not an adoption curve to anything new. Mm -hmm. And we have the innovators and the pioneers at the beginning. Then we have sort of the early adopters. And then, you know, what what we call sort of the laggards at the end. And the innovators and the pioneers have already adopted century. So I've seen that globally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're in many countries Mm -hmm. and they've taken it on. They've tested it for the last few years. They've got improvement of outcomes of over thirty about thirty percent across the board. Mm-hmm. What I really love about it is not just that. That sounds like a really great stat, but it's not that for me. It's the fact that economically disadvantaged children perform just as well as their peers. On Century, wow. why is that? Because artificial intelligence doesn't, doesn't care just, yep. where you're from. Yep. It will figure out a way. Good AI doesn't. Good does, AI doesn't. doesn't. Yes. Yeah, and also, you know, with a diverse tech team, where well, we've got mm. women, with mm. co- female data scientists, female engineers. You also. You know, you can try and ensure that you haven't got that algorithm bias that mm. is a big issue that and, people talk about, and data about. bias as well across exactly. the schools that you're
1: working with. Yeah, yeah,
0: and so, and you know, having co-founded the Institute of Ethical AI, AI for Education with Sir Anthony Seldon and Professor Rose Luckin from the Institute of Education at UCL, you know, we're we're really looking into how do you build and scale this technology in, a, in an ethical way mm. that always ensures it's AI for good. And I think that if listeners could. Think about these problems that they come across. Well, it doesn't have to be in education, it can be anywhere. And think, how could we also apply new tools and technology in an ethical way to make, so, you know, to have, so that would just be such a wonderful thing. Mm. And I think that it's often the non traditional techies that can come up with these ideas because. They're looking at things from a very open point of view. Yeah,
1: you almost need to be the outsider, right? There's there's a lot yeah. of things that kind of are less obvious for you if you if it's not something you've grown up with or you've trained in. If you're not classically trained, is the thing I always like to say, then it means yeah. that you're, you're looking at it from a... Well, you're also a, in
0: the field, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact is I wasn't completely new to education because when I was a barrister, I taught for two years. Uh, I taught postgraduate students in the evening. I taught mm-hmm. media law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew in a sense, you know, what does teaching involve, mm-hmm. right? You know, how, how marking, assessing, all these things, you mm-hmm. know, and it's really interesting how people still think that to be a teacher is great because you have really long summer holidays and you leave at 3.30 <laughs> and I just think that is not true at all. My teachers... <laughs> to talk to a teacher. Yeah, and my teachers will happily tell you their or workload. Waterloo Road. Yeah, exactly, but what's really fascinating is that, you know, at Century as well, we save workload by a day a week and so if you can imagine giving every teacher a day back and what's You know, what I cannot get over is the fact that we... In fact, um, there's a publication out there that surveyed a lot of our teachers that wrote an article on this. And they said, we surveyed the teachers and what do they do with their day a week? Not one of them said, I go to the pub. (laughs) Like, you know, I get home early. No, they spend more time on targeted timely interventions with children and pastoral care. Mm -hmm. And so what's really fascinating about the sector is that we have this workforce of incredible people who really, really want to change their world, change the world in their own way. Mm -hmm. And we need to help them. You know, we need to ensure, we need to empower them. We need to ensure, and they're helping, you know, at the end of the day, they're looking after our children. Mm -hmm. These are the guardians of our children Mm -hmm. when we're out, when we're at work. Um, And so we really need to treat them with the most amount of respect. And so, and there is a really great way to do this, which I am gonna say, because I think it's really important, but any listeners who are parents, nominate your teacher to the teaching awards, there's yep. something called the Thank a Teacher campaign. Can you believe? And I have to just um, a slight wave here, and you know, in terms of bias, I am on their board, right? But the thing is, can you imagine that if you nominate a teacher for Thank a Teacher, it's a Thank a Teacher campaign, they actually write a handwritten card to your teacher what, and send it to
1: What is a handwritten card? I've not heard of one of those it's, before. I
0: know. It's not. That, Anne-Marie, let's go back a little bit maybe about <laughs> two decades. Do you remember when people used to write? <laughs> you know the no, pen? No, had
1: a pen. Right, Ink. okay. Oh, yeah, I see. There right. are machines
0: that do do this as well, I so you I've might be aware of those. Yeah, so of those this startups. time you use your fingers and you know those fine motor skills <laughs> yeah. in your hand? Completely really lost them. Really important skills. I'm at keyboard all the time. Well, see, so this is one of the reasons why also, I, de- I have to be, again, very honest and say that when century goes into schools, we do say, look, you know, of course we've got kids on it for 6 8 hours a week sometimes and they get quite obsessive over it particularly some children with special needs mm. love going on the platform but we say look at an hour a week 2 hours a week is absolutely maximum in primary we have you know within 20 30 minutes a week on this system mm. the platform will learn everything about the child in terms of how they learn and then give that data That's very which is amazing yeah. but we say look don't use it all the time mm. and it's not necessarily the screen time debate I'm getting into here it's the five major skills debate mm. so with primary age children we don't want them to constantly be tacking, tapping screens all day because mm. those muscles in between the thumb and the forefinger are actually really really important for <laughs> <four. laughs> you know that thing that you don't like to
1: do <laughs> which is, well it's not just writing I've, picking I've heard people say this though so because when I was little, we used to have. Um, I was gutted because so my handwriting is Can we still take a picture of now. her right now,
0: by the way? She's got a pen in her hand. I have a pen in my hand. She's got a pen in her hand. I but I'd right really, now. I haven't
1: used it. I had, it's like <laughs> the comfort, it's, it's to practice these two muscles you said were really important. But we had like handwriting licenses that we had to do, and I was like the last person to get it. In that's mind. okay.
0: What, but it's yeah. really
1: funny because now, so there are, I've spoken to people who've been like, you know, kids, well, that's not a future skill.
0: Yeah, well, it, well it, there is a country that's taking out, out handwriting yeah. at the curriculum. But what we'll do is. When, but we'll then you've got to think like,
1: will we evolve then? And end get up ev- With like a webbed hand or something. Do you think that's going to be like a thing that will change?
0: I don't know. I'm going to get a box of Cheerios and drop them on the floor and then see, see if you can pick I them, them up faster. No, no, that's that, that's that game. <laughs> I'll pick them up. You know that game, you have to do it with no hands. Do you know what you'll do though? And I know what she'll do. She will go, Anne Marie, you will go and get robot. that robot vacuum cleaner and just say, go and pick it up. Yeah, definitely. Or I play as a game surgeons like what hen- about surgeons like what do, you, about do you want every no. robot doing surgery no no because i know robots do so, surgery yeah. but do you want every surgeon doing surgery properly or do you want surgeons to have i'm just saying that the muscle's important did you know
1: they did surgery on a grape <laughs> that's like a meme by the way yeah sorry i had to put that in there um but that and that wasn't a human being that was a robot that did it my yep. professor coincidentally he's like a robotics person yep. um from my university and we were talking about the fact that the ethics in that is still, we're still nowhere near working out what whether that should be something we allow robots to do because there are certain parts of surgery, so like stitches at the end, that are quite re- repetitive movements. Yeah. Um, so you could, probably could give a bot that to do, yeah. but then you have to then work out all the legalities of it all have got in the way of that technology yeah. allowed to be being uh, widespread.
0: So every every year I do something really exciting and I go to Silicon Valley and I see what's going on behind the scenes there. Um, just to know that, I know it's not globally, it's just the West, <laughs> you know, it's here and there, but I can sort of see advances in technology. And I was speaking to some incredible disruptors, um, you know, and, and their surgeons who then created tech companies. And, you know, they sort of say, well, look, the thing is, nobody is, just like how we learn is unique, nobody is exactly the same. Yeah. And so to be able to program some things, sometimes deal with the nuances and, and you know, what, what you might be faced with in actually yeah. a very high-pressure situation yeah, it's tough. is really challenging. Yeah. And so I think there are some areas where... Stitches they can we help. Were talking about specifically. Yeah, stitches, yeah. That, that could be a real issue. I think yeah. and there are some areas where, you know, robotics are already being used mm. that could be great. But I think this is, again, you know, this is where people can have a say about these things. They can mm. have a debate about these things. They can think about... You know, when we've got something that's... When we're training artificial intelligence, you know, who's training it? Who's actually holding the reins behind that? And with ethics, that's really important mm. as well. Like mm. who's, who's, who's chosen those training sets of data? Who's trained them? Who's weighted the algorithms one way or another? Mm. You can talk about it with surgery and stitches. You can talk about it with driverless cars. Yep. You can talk about it with education technology. Yep. And, you know, it's... In, it's in, I think people, once they're starting to talk about and question these things and learn about them that will be a really great day when everyone understands how to debate these issues. I, I can't wait for that day.
1: Yeah, I think So for me, and you're, you'll be the same, there's so many of these boards, so many of these committees, so many of these kind of closed door situations going on where we're deciding policies and we're kind of influencing. Um, yeah. And I'm not an evil yeah. person. If I was an evil yeah. genius, then, you know, God forbid. But I think there's so much where if you look at something like, I say this all the time, look at something like immigration. Yeah. Everyone has an opinion on immigration. We're not all immigration lawyers, but it is something that you can kind of prop up and have a conversation about and i'd love i can't wait for the day where even just the use of ai just in our public systems would be something that people come out and say you know actually i'm making an informed decision to say i'd rather not have that make it and don't you
0: think that once we have that there will just be so much more transparency because it's demanded. So, yeah. you know, a revolution always happens essentially when consumers demand yep. a certain change. Or yep. they just, you know, they demand things a certain or way. Or
1: when uh, the EU decides to do GDPR. But
0: yeah. <laughs> but how can you demand a certain thing yeah. unless you know about it? Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom.
1: What has been the hardest bit of your transition of going from, I'm going to call you a techie, from non-techie entrepreneur <laughs> to techie entrepreneur?
0: That's interesting. because Or sort of non-techie a,
1: to techie.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because that's sort of a question from the bridge between when I ran a company, but it was um, fast-moving consumer goods, mm. FMCG, mm. to tech. Um, the transition, that's a really good question. I mean, culturally, it's... A little bit different, okay, you know, having a large engineering team mm-hmm. and uh learning that actually I think sometimes the team looks at the market as a whole and looks at those lovely stories you know from Facebook mm-hmm. about free lunches and unlimited holidays, and sort of think, Well, where are our free lunches and our unlimited holidays and and um and actually, the transitions not where, wasn't where are they? Yeah, where are they? Well, let, let me tell you something now. There is no <laughs> such thing as a free lunch, Anne Marie. <laughs> and uh, if you haven't heard that one before, and uh, unlimited holidays are not what they seem. On average, in the USA, no one takes them. yeah, but on that's average, they in, don't take holidays anyway. On average, in the USA, um, they actually take less holidays when you give them unlimited holidays because people feel bad about taking them. But so
1: here, we take them. We Here. Brits love a good holiday. I've got a friend who um, yeah. just transferred to the New York office of her company.
0: Do so they give her ten days? And instead they, of they gave her ten days, but
1: she takes the ten days. Yeah. Everyone in the office is like, w- "What? What are you? Why are you always that's out?" Nuts. And she's like, "We have ten days of holiday."
0: Which is also, which is crazy, right? Because we give so a century, we give twenty-five plus three over Christmas in the year plus yep. your birthday. Yeah. Um, and so that's quite nice. Um, but no, I think the transition was more actually. My mindset of being a lawyer, Uh yeah, to anything in business, Uh because my mindset of being a lawyer is, look, you know, there is a very traditional way in which lawyers are trained. Mm. It's the same for sort of lawyers, bankers, consultants. There's this sort of... You know, get in early, leave really late. If you leave early, you might get a services It's Professional services, vibes. Yeah, you just, it's a vibe and mm. the culture, which isn't a great one. And, um, you know, we know that actually we're not very productive <laughs> when mm. we do that. Mm-hmm. But it's a mindset. Mm. And it's this looking like you're working really hard. And obviously, mm. I, I'm telling you right now that I did work really hard. There wasn't a second where I wasn't. Exactly. <laughs> but the point is, you know, then I moved into this tech um, industry. And I ran my first company very much like a little bit like when I was a lawyer because it's an industry that can cope with that. In tech, it's very different. You know, we sort of have people rolling in it. 1030 in the morning but what's really interesting is that they're the ones who are coding at night or on the weekends and it was developing that culture and understanding culture so I did a lot of work on culture I did a bunch of courses on culture personally Pers- I did it myself yep. um, and many mm. I've read lots of books on it I've spoken to a lot of founders about it I've been out to different companies here and in the US and in the east and, talk- and learned about culture I've done all the personality sort of, um, not personality, but behavioural profiling tests. I've actually become trained on how to do them myself and wow, deliver them. you went in. When I, this is this problem with me. When I go in, I go in yeah. 100%. It's yeah. all or nothing. Mm. I don't like sort of kind of knowing something. It I like to master it, it. it or not. Yeah. And so I'd rather just not, because then I can't talk about it. I'm just like, why would I do that? Mm. And so actually I've gone into other companies and trained them on culture and building a really important culture. And it is really important. And if you have a culture that's misaligned with your strategy, it's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And so learning a new culture for tech and being a techie versus the old traditional professional services culture was a real transition and a learning curve. Um, and I think we've done really well at Century. I mean, I think everyone's so good. Yeah. The sort of only way I can put it is that everyone we've sort of wanted to keep is there. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not really bad. Um, but, but the thing is that, you know, the only people who have otherwise left have moved country. interestingly and that's not because they want to get really far away from us that's because they genuinely want to move country um yeah exactly and uh but i think it's a very happy place to work we have i'm not i'm not allowed to swear here i'm sure but we have a no barthole rule on everyone's contract it's on the front of their contract it's um they have the
1: swear word in their
0: contracts yeah of course okay it's serious I, i mean it cover yours and, uh, spoiler alert cover ears if <laughs> you don't hear it <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was too late really, a robot would have done that quicker it would have been able to see we'll put it on an the edit they won't yeah um, and so we have no ask for all at work we have um, in part, on your contract it says always do the right thing and try and do it kindly Yeah. you know and so and we take that really really seriously and because we've asked people to leave because they've breached that before mm, it's taken yeah. very seriously it's entries
1: so you administer it Who's another person you'd say you admire? Slash, who are your mentors, I guess? I'm guessing you admire your
0: mentors. I mean, let me know if you don't. You can see my face is cringing because I'm gonna give you an answer that you're probably not quite used to. Okay, so who do I Is also... it your mum? Are you gonna say your mum? I love my mum. She's my yeah. best friend. Okay, cool. When I married my husband, he was he just said to me, I know I'm number two. And I was like, Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, you are I love you to this, but knows. you are number two. That's good um, but then I also like some singers. Like I, I you know do you know the song um, from is it Mika or Micah? And it's um, Mika. Mika and the, it's you know, the song from Mika and he goes really high pitched and it's Grace Kelly. Right. What's really interesting about how he wrote that song and why he wrote it, he was being rejected by absolutely everybody. And they were saying, you know, you're not going to be signed by our label because you're too tall. You're not signed by our label because you're too this, you're too high-pitched, whatever. So he went home and said, I could be purple, I could be blue, I could be whatever. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like me? Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard his story and I now listen to that song every single day. Every day I listen to his song on the tube to work at least once because... He inspires me because he wrote the song and look it became a number one hit you know across the world. I've got I love it. I've got the back, backing track now. So people, I think anyone who's got a story and they may not even be very well known inspires me. Mentors was the other question that you Sorry, asked yeah, me. I it all into one no, I like the question because what I'd like to say to you is that mentees should pick their mentors as carefully as mentors pick their mentees and in my experience that doesn't happen right right people say I need a mentor because there's a lot on mentoring yeah and I understand the I understand the importance of it but then what I often find is that people then just sort of match a mentor to a mentee and I always think well hang on a second not every mentor is the right mentor for that particular individual Mm -hmm. and I've I've seen that myself and Mm. I've just thought I've had mentors given to me without me really being, you know, asking for it, or people that feel that they can coach me. And um, can I just say that one's that does annoy me? It winds me up to know because I just think, well, hang on a second, I didn't ask for it, and also, you know, particularly if it's someone who's mansplaining me or, you know, interfering. And I just think this is always a two-way relationship, and so actually, I don't like mentorships and mentoring. That are allocated. That are unallocated. Yeah, and, and And forced and also where the mentee can't see the value that the mentor might be able to provide them with. And I, and I know that... I'm, I'm pre-empting the fact that, look, I know that you get value that you don't often think that you would have had. That I understand. Serendipity and all the rest of it. That's yeah. serendipity, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, um, I don't like it when it's forced. And, and I remember being given people. <laughs> and I just remember sitting with them thinking, this is... Uh, um just again, I'm I'm trying not to sound like really arrogant and impolite, or whatever, but this is no. the biggest waste of my time. No, it's <laughs> not it's so, less it's uh, more like you,
1: you can only the person can only mentor you well if you're ready to listen to them and if you respect them in some the way and like, if you have it, context on
0: it. It's well, I would say that actually you've got to be ready to listen. So there's a guy called Stephen Eason who was the managing director of Waitrose at one point, Who mentored me. Mm. Um, I asked for him to mentor me. He mentored me for years when I ran my first company and he was incredible. And I learned so much from him. My board right now and my investors are my main, in inverted commas, mentors because mm. I go to them with questions. So, for example, there's um, one of my mentors. He's a really good friend of mine, actually. Mm. But I consider him a mentor in this capacity is that I have I had some issues with... Um, of the business model and i went to john bust who is now ceo of yext i went to Guy fernando who's co-founder of yeah, freeformers, freeformers. Yeah. yeah and Guy and john are both investors in century and i went to them they are my friends but i went to them specifically with that no can you put that hat on of helping me a mentor yeah. because you've done this before yeah and they were incredible mm. but what but i think that that's really important because i also knew what my ask was mm. and i was very clear so i was really willing to sit down and say right just sort of feed me with all that knowledge I want to learn about it and so the key here is find out the needs of the mentee what is it that they're struggling with and it doesn't have to be a business need it could even be an emotional need Mm. it could be um one thing that I think is really important is mindset Mm. you know it could be they haven't got confidence in x y and z whatever Mm. and then find somebody appropriate to be able to help with that specific need mm, on to, that journey yeah it's and that, journey so that's well. the thing about time. mentals that i think is really important and mm. is not said often enough
1: my final question what's your favorite spice slash which spice do you think is most underrated so <laughs> i bought a pestle and mortar a couple of months ago and i've been looking through recipes and i'm i don't know what you classify
0: as but you need know, turmeric yeah. has got healing properties so my mum's answer Only if you use
1: it with black pepper though
0: No, they just, you know, when I used to cut myself at school, my mum, so normal kids would have a plaster with a Disney character. No, she would just (laughs) rub turmeric all over it. Didn't that hurt? No, it doesn't hurt because its it doesn't hurt at all, but turmeric is staining. So then for the next few weeks, I would have like a yellow arm. (laughs) And I'd say, Mum, why'd you do that? So, in terms of the spice that's underrated, I would say. Turmeric, really? No, I would say the spice that's underrated is cumin. Because if you can't buy proper at-strength cumin seeds, you can't make a really good curry. And one of the reasons why that business was so great and did so well, so quickly, was because we used to use really strong spices. If you went to the local supermarket and just bought... uh, And also, if you don't roast them properly, or if you don't fry them properly, you fry them too long so they burn, or too little so they don't, for example, pop or crackle then you're not going to get the flavour out of them. And that's why chicken curry doesn't taste good do when someone doesn't have to do it. you fry cumin or of you course. roast cumin? Both. Fry it on there in the curry. And fry it, yeah. But then you don't put it in the pestle and mortar after you've done that, do you? No. No, so it's the you just put them in whole. Yeah, I, I could make yeah. a curry for you. Next time, we it's can actually, have a curry. I think it's actually quite rude you turned up today without a curry, just, just, just saying. I think it's really rude that you're holding okay. a pen. <laughs> 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 We're even.
1: Thanks very much, Priya. <laughs> Thank
0: Thanks you. for listening. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much I for really having me, Anne-Marie. I, really I loved it. it. And um, apologies for all the giggling in the background, but all we all had a good
1: No, we like a good giggle. We like to have a laugh. <laughs> Krulakani is using artificial intelligence to give parents and teachers better data on pupils' performance, which they can actually use in between parents' evenings. Also, turmeric is her favourite spice, and you should listen to Grace Kelly by Mika every morning like she does. You can follow her on Twitter at Priya Lakani or on Instagram at prelakani one You can check the spelling on that in the episode notes. Find out more about Century Tech by going on Twitter at This Is Century or Instagram Century Tech Learning. All that's left for you to do is subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It would also really help us if you rate and review it too. I and Marie live on Twitter at Aemaphidon, good luck spelling that, and on Instagram at NotYourAverageAMI, which is a little bit easier to spell. Get in touch, have a chat, ask questions using the hashtag #WomenTechCharge.